You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Now, the Go Wild app has added some really cool and exciting functionality to their app. And the first one I want to talk about is the Near Me function. And basically what this does, it allows you to engage and connect with people in your area. You guys can talk about gear. You guys can talk about hunting areas. You guys can talk about what's going on in the woods. And it just allows the users to be more of a community and connect easier. The second part is the gearbox. And what the gearbox is, it is a an opportunity for the users to not only see reviews on products and see what the go wild community is using in the field what products they're using but it also allows you guys to purchase up to 150,000 products there's you, there's a shopping function on it so Check out the Go Wild app. If you haven't downloaded it to your phone yet, you need to, and you can do that at any app store that is currently available. Go Wild. It's an awesome app. Check them out. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. Podcast, podcast, podcast. <laughs> oh, man. I'm your host, Nate Thomas. With me today... Andy Humfeld. What's up, dude? What's going on? We got a good one today. We talked to uh, Missouri Department of Conservation uh, fishery guy, yep. uh, Andrew Branson. Andrew comes on and we talk about pond management. Pond management, healthy ponds, healthy fish. Yep. And... Uh, we have some good time. We talk about what kind of fish you should have stocked, what kind of uh, uh, vegetation is good, bad, all kinds of interesting stuff. So a lot we of know- good information for sure. I mean, just this was I felt like was more of a, a, a informative, I guess, podcast more than a storytelling type podcast, which uh, I think hopefully our listeners will will find useful. Yeah, I've never had anybody learn anything from me ever, so this could it's be, be a first. This could be a first. Yeah. So, hope you all enjoy the show. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. 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 (laughs) All right, welcome to the show. Uh, Today we are joined by... Andrew Branson with the Missouri Department of Conservation. Andrew, what's going on, man? Oh, not a whole lot. Uh, just uh, ready to talk about the great outdoors here in Missouri. Yeah, I'm, we're excited to have you. Thanks for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, always a fun topic. Yeah. So um, before we get into our topic today, which for the listeners, we're going to talk about uh, pond management and what goes into having a healthy farm pond in Missouri. Um why don't you introduce yourself, tell everybody what you do for MDC, and then um, why don't you tell us something that you love about the Missouri outdoors? What's your favorite thing? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, my, again, my name is Andrew Branson, and I've been with the Department of Conservation for, oh gosh, I guess about 15, 15 years now. Uh, I was born and raised in Missouri, southwest Missouri, and actually, kind of an interesting fact, I'm a 
part of the uh, Branson, Missouri. So I've got a little history there, but uh, definitely have a love for Missouri. Um, one of the things I've always loved about Missouri uh, is really just the kind of the variety of things we have in the state, a variety of outdoor type things. You know, Missouri itself, the state is, you know, it's kind of, well, it's located in the center of the country, and it seems to be right on the divide line of all sorts of, you know, different zones and different soil types. So as we know, northern Missouri is different than southern Missouri and southeast from, you know, from southwest. And uh, I grew up loving to fish and float, you know, those those clear streams. Um, and, and then also, you know, I, I really loved, uh, you know, all the rocks and the caves in Missouri. So yeah. uh, th- those are things I really liked. And I, you know, I have lived out of state and uh, some other states and ultimately came back to Missouri. But yeah, when you move out of Missouri, you realize, you know, as great as some other states are, you realize just how special Missouri is. Yeah, I think I said it in one of our first shows that Missouri is like five different states in one. You've got, oh yeah, you know, a bunch of stuff coming together in our state, which I think makes it cool. So, what did you say about Branson? I, I kind of missed you there. You're part of, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm from that area, born and raised in that area, and, and uh, yeah, Branson, Missouri is named after my uh, my great 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 uncle. Oh, that's cool. Great great oh, uncle wow. Reuben Branson. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, a little history there, and so my. I guess roots run deep down in that area. Yeah, that's that sounds cool. like it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, like I said, we're uh, we're excited to have this this topic today. Um, whenever we get the op- the the opportunity to talk about fishing and and that sort of stuff, we always go back to what we fish most, which is you know farm ponds farm with our ponds, kids. Yep. Um, you know, we we have small children, and and each of us have, you know, Andy grew up on a farm and farms, yep. and uh, I've got a pond right out back and. You know, that's typically the fishing we get to do anymore is that sort of fishing with kids. And so I thought a really cool topic would be what goes into having a, a successful pond. I mean, there's tens of thousands of them yeah. in our state. Um, oh, so, yeah. you know, I, I read an article before we talked to kind of do some research about what we were going to talk about. And I read an article about where the pond came from in general. Um, uh huh. And I, if I can remember what he said correctly, it's kind of it was a southern thing, you know, back in the day, long ago, uh, about making ponds. But have you ever heard about where uh, ponds came from, you know, back in the day? Well, not specifically, but you know, I do know that. Uh, um, I think originally, my my guess would be is that it was just uh, you know a water source for for livestock, a water source for animals. I know early early on in the Missouri Department of Conservation's history, that was a big program that we had where we actually, mm-hmm. you know, I think we're talking in the 50s and I mean many decades ago where we actually built farm ponds for people, and uh, and they were, you know, it was it was thought of that these farm pods, you know, again they're going to be holding water and it's actually going to be. Uh, a water source for for wild animals, you know, Missouri wildlife, yeah. uh, deer that pass through the area and different things, you know. Um, there's going to be a ready source of water in the areas that may be, you know, not near a river or a lake or something like that. But so, uh, yeah, it was kind of a win-win, you know. Farm ponds were built around Missouri uh, to help, you know, help uh, water wildlife. But then, of course, also the, the farmers, the landowners, you know, could could water livestock with it and and add fish and then, you know, create a fun little activity there. But you're right. 
farm ponds, I think anybody that likes to fish um, probably has fond fishing in farm ponds. Some of the best fishing is in farm ponds. I mean, yep. you've got uh, you've got lots of hungry fish right there, easy to get to. You know, stream fishing and river fishing—that's a different type of fishing. That's that's really fun. But you know, farm ponds are are uh, good for everybody. Yeah. Well, I think for a lot of people, you know, busy people like everyone here in the conversation, you have a few hours on a weekend. Uh, what are you more apt to do? Run out to a farm pond that you know you can get to, catch a few fish, or I mean, for me, I mean, it takes a a full day of planning and and getting to you know a larger body of water or down to a stream or something, and it turns into a whole day ordeal. To where I mean, the busier lives that I'm sure all of our listeners have too. Uh, you're more apt to grab a pole and a tackle box and run outside spend a, spend a few hours down in a pond as opposed to uh, run into the lake of the Ozarks. That's right. That's right. Yeah, farm ponds are definitely fun, and and I get you know that's again one of the things I do here at the Department of Conservation. I work here at the headquarters in Jeff City, and and. I answer uh, web questions and phone calls and, and people walking in uh, all about farm ponds. You know, people ask, uh, you know, were my ponds doing this? Uh, didn't used to, but now it's got these issues, and how do I take care of that? And Or another common one is um, uh, people will buy some property that has a pond on it, and they've never had a pond before, and they they don't know if it's in good shape or bad shape or basically what they're, they're wondering, you know, what do I need to know to be a, to be a good pond owner? and and uh, yeah. yeah there's a lot to it and I, let's stay right on topic actually because i was going to kind of have you talk about both building a new pond and when you you buy a new property and it has a pond on it what would you say for someone who is in that situation like i was 10 years ago when we bought this place um when you buy a new property that has a pond on it what's what's some good things to to do to kind of assess if you do or don't have a healthy pond yeah, again, good question. Um, you know, first of all, I, I guess, you know, I uh, personally, I've never been a pond donor, but uh, what I would do is, uh, yeah, you, of course, you just kind of assess the pond. You would look and see, um, you know, does it, the amount of aquatic plants in the pond, you know, does it seem to have, you know, is there lots of water compared to aquatic plants? Um, you know, do you see about, you know, uh, 25%, 20, 25% of the pond? is kind of covered with aquatic plants or edges, or is it more than that? Does it, is it look in your opinion, like it's starting to get choked out with plants, you know, um, uh, that's a, that's a good thing to know. Um, the, uh, also ponds, they, they kind of change throughout the season. Um, so depending on the time of year, you know, uh, uh, you may not have a whole lot of aquatic plant growth, but then as the summer water warms up and the sun's been hitting the pond, you know, plants are starting to take off, you know, uh, how does your pond look during that time? Does, does it, when it didn't look choked out, is it choked out now? And then the other thing is, um, you know, fish the pond, you know, uh, fish it and see if you catch anything. Uh, and then you can kind of assess the type of fish you catch and maybe what their sizes are. Do the fish look, do they, do they look healthy? Are they thin? Uh, are they all the same size? You know, do you not really have much variety in size? That's another thing. And, uh, I guess, uh, I guess one last thing I might do is, is if a person, a pond owner can get a hold of a boat or a canoe or something, I would try to figure out how deep the pond is roughly, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of boat out there and lower a string down on it with a rock on it or something, you know, and mm-hmm. wait till you hit bottom. Uh, and because, uh, yeah, the, again, knowing the pond depth, that will, that will help you a lot as far as uh, knowing if your pond is, 
is a potential candidate for a low oxygen fish kill in the summer. Shallower ponds have a harder time with that. So those are a few things, just looking at the, the you know, the type of aquatic plants that are in there, how many, how deep the pond is, just things like that. Yeah. That's um, when we first bought our place out here that uh, the pond is eh, like an acre, 1.2 acres maybe or so of surface water. When we first moved out yeah. here, um, I talked to you all. I don't remember who. It's a long time ago, but and that was some of the the information I got was fish the pond. Start keeping track of what you're catching. How big? What are they? Um, my big issue was I had, and I think it's called pondweed. Could be wrong, but it was a uh-huh. it was a single leaf that sat on top of, you know, right on top of the water. It looked like a just a leaf that fell out of the out of a tree. Gotcha. But then there were thousands of them. And so it looked like one solid, you know, deal. And, um, you know, with the help of MDC, I was able to get rid of pretty much all of it um, and then introduce grass carp and things like that to help with that sort of stuff. But, um, right, yeah, and you can see the difference when you start kind of working on it instead of, you know, just kind of letting it sit, which is fine too. Um, but it had been kind of left alone for 20, 10 or 15 years, something like that, 10, right. 15, 20 years. And it kind of developed, I don't know, some bad habits, <laughs> you'd say. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's cool with someone that has an existing pond. But what about if someone's looking to build one, are there certain things that you recommend to them before? I know there's different sizes, but what would you recommend to someone that might be thinking about building a pond? Uh, well, probably the first thing would be, it would be yeah contact your 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 local your local conservation department office um talk with one of the private lands uh or fishery staff people um and more than likely they would come out and actually look at your site before you actually are building one to, to help you determine if it's going to be a good site for a pond um and what they look at they look at things like you know the slope of the land and they want to see if you know the all the land around the pond is called the watershed, and they want to look at the condition of that watershed and see if if it's going to be funneling water to your pond at, at a at a good amount. Um, also, you know, you you anything that's running across the landscape towards your pond is carrying things towards your pond as well. So, right, right. Again, it, it can be that can be a good thing. Um, uh, more than likely, it's kind of a bad thing if it's if it's uh, if you've got runoff from Oh, uh, neighboring landowners that may have lots of uh, livestock, you know, and it's and it's bringing all those, you know, cattle waste and nutrients into your pond. Where you can have a you know, that could be a uh, situation where you may have constant algae problems in the pond with all the nutrients flowing in. But they'll that's one thing is to assess the site and just see what kind of runoff in the watershed you're going to get, um, what's going to be entering the pond. And again, you need to have kind of a there's kind of a, a proper balance ratio of of size of watershed to your pond and that needs to be correct if it's if it's um uh, too if it's too uh low one way your pond may have a hard time staying full you know um, or if it's the uh, in the opposite direction where too big a watershed sloping and dumping lots of water into your pond well gosh I mean, your pond will have no problem with water, but it can actually overflow quite a bit during heavy flows, and people yeah, lose fish that way. You right. can have water flowing into a pond so quick and then flowing out that the fish flow right out with it. And so Not enough volume those are things. That's right. That's right. But, yeah, have uh, if someone's building a pond, keep that in mind. You know, contact your local person to uh, have them look at the site over with you. Um, 
and then depending on that, uh, yeah, they, they can make different recommendations. Sometimes uh, you may have your main, your main pond, but then it may be a good idea in your watershed to build a smaller pond, so to speak, upstream from it. Yeah. So that smaller pond will actually catch a lot of the runoff, catch a lot of the silt and debris that maybe trying to ultimately head to your bigger pond. It'll get caught up in that smaller pond, so that can be like a little retention pond for things. Yeah, that makes but, sense. Uh, yeah, just talk to someone to look your site over. Perfect. What would you say, you know, with you taking all the online, you know, inquiries and phone calls, what's, you know, a few of the, the most common problems that you get called on? I mean, are, are there anything that just stick out over and over again that you're, you're almost day-to-day common problems you get calls on? Yeah, the, um, let's see, probably the big three that I get are, um, uh, and it, it really kind of depends on the time of year. During the heat of the summer, like right now, fish kills. I get mm-hmm. I get calls on fish kills. That's a real common one. Someone will walk out to their pond one morning or and uh, later in the day, and they'll see a bunch of dead fish floating by and or floating in their in their pond. And of course, that can be that can be quite alarming. And they'll call yeah. us and say, "This has never happened before." And and uh, so we talk about that. Another one is. Um, uh, just you know, algae problems, you know, aquatic plant problems, you know, their pond. Uh, well, again, algae is the main thing, the kind of the slimy pond scum type right. type issues, uh, which is different from, uh, I think, Nate, what you were saying earlier about the pond weed. Right. Uh, that's, a, that's a different type of plant. Uh, so you treat them differently. But again, nuisance aquatic plants, that's another big one that we get. Okay. And then the final one is, uh, is, uh, you know, how to get their fish bigger. You know, okay. uh, that's the real common one is um, their bass, especially. They say, all my bass are small. I can't catch anything over 12 inches. You know, right. I catch 10 to 12 inch bass all day long and that's it. I can't catch anything bigger. And and that's a real common problem is what we call stunted bass or overstocked uh-huh. bass. So, so yeah, fish kills and then, you know, nuisance aquatic plant problems and then, you know, stunted fish. Those are the big three, I think. What would you say to kind of break that down? I mean, just a... a five mile view of kind of the fish kill kind of interests me because i would say it's back in 2011 or 12 we have about a five acre watershed and man i mean i knew it was overstocked at the time I mean, you could go down there and catch fish all day long every cast almost and uh i came went down there one weekend and i about i about passed out how sick in the stomach i was i mean there were thousands of fish laying on the bank dead i thought there every fish in that thing had died and I'll be honest right. with you, um, I would say today that that pond or lake, whatever you want to call it, is better for it. We started getting bigger bass, bigger fit, bigger crappie, uh, bigger fish because of it. Um, I think it was just overpopulated. And and maybe you can help me with this answer. I mean, that kill off, I assumed it was from the the lake or the pond turning over and the oxygen being sucked out of the water. Is that right? Is that something that happens? Or what what is the main cause of yeah. fish kill like that in the summertime? Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a low oxygen fish kill typically, um, and you're right. It uh, it's in the summertime, uh, the water warms up. Warmer water has a hard time holding as much oxygen as cooler water. Um, so in the summer, your pond's not typically turning over. We all hear about pond turnover. Okay. And that that's that's something that that's generally a kind of fall fall thing, and that that's a different situation. So you can get some fish kills from that again when the pond turns over, and maybe some uh, lower oxygen water down deep is now brought up and mixed throughout the pond. But, 
so again, you can have a fish kill from that. The main fish kills by far that people deal with are the are the summertime ones where okay. your pond is not turning over, but what's happening is, again, the water is warmed up in your pond. It's already struggling to hold oxygen because of the warm water. But uh, what what causes the fish kill is is that warm water in combination with with uh, the aquatic plants in your pond, and that can be algae floating in the pond. It could be it could be you know leafy aquatic plants. Lots of times it's really just kind of the algae and, and, and the green water itself. The green water, uh, most of our ponds aren't, aren't uh, clear. They're going to have some color to them, and mm-hmm. typically it's greenish, and that's, that's kind of microscopic algae floating in the water. But it acts, I mean, it's a, it's, it acts like a plant. It, when, it's, when it's sunny, plants produce oxygen like crazy, but, it, but when it's dark at night, plants uh, do the opposite. They actually pull oxygen from the water. Okay. So a pond in the summertime has low, you know, it's got warm water, it's got low oxygen, and if it has lots of algae, maybe lots of green water, during the day that pond is producing oxygen like crazy, but then at night it starts pulling oxygen from the water, like I said, and if the water is already struggling due to heat, yeah, you can have a fish kill. Uh, fish kills, uh, again, they're going to be occurring at night when it's dark, maybe just before sunup when the pond's at its lowest oxygen. Uh, again, once the sun pops up, Boy, those plants are producing oxygen again. But, like you said, you've you've already had a your first round of fish kill. You'll see mm-hmm. some fish floating. Um, fish kills tend to last two to three days in a situation like that. They oh, kind of wow. have to run their course. Um, that's the other thing people say is, you know, how long will this last? You know, I'm seeing them every morning. Well, it, a fish kill like that tends to last two to three days. And and like you said, there is some good news to it. Uh, the good news is. is these fish kills typically don't wipe out a pond completely. Uh, And, you know, again, stunted fish, overstocked fish is a problem people have. And these fish kills, they do, they benefit the pond and the fact that they do thin down the fish population and they usually bounce back stronger than ever, really. Yep. That's what I feel like has happened in ours. Uh, And you mentioned before, kind of just through conversation, you ask about, you know, how much vegetation your your pond has on it. Uh, You mentioned 25%. Is that... And am I just picking up, is that kind of where you would want to see vegetation at to where, uh, to keep a healthy amount, but not too much to suck that oxygen like you're talking? Is there a magic number of, of vegetation you want to try to be at? Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a rough, rough number. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good amount, you know, if, uh, and it's hard to estimate when you look at your pond. I mean, I guess, I guess if a pond was, uh, if we looked, we could probably all tell if a pond was 50%, you know, if it seemed like, well, I see about 50% plants and I see 50% water, uh, open water. Um, so, yeah, 25%, somewhere less less than 50% would be good. Okay. And like I said, it really, there are there are other factors that, plus um, of aquatic plants, I mean, there's all different, some, um, you know, there's floating ones, there's ones that, that uh, root to the root from they start from the bottom rooted and they grow mm-hmm. up to the surface. Yeah. Um, there's ones that are at the edge, so it really varies. Um, and also where they're located. Um, if you know, if 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 it's a cattails, for example, um, maybe cattails is all you have in your pond, and and you look at it and you think, well, gosh, most of my pond is water, uh, so it's less than 25% cattails. However, the cattails go all the way around. You know, right. they they ring my pond basically so mm-hmm. there's no place i can fish without having a couple feet of cattails in front of me so 
but yeah, in general, you know, 20, 25% of plants and the rest water, open water is good. Um, and so that, yeah, that's, that's kind of a good rule to go by. Okay. Yeah. That was the, the, uh, weed I had was kind of what you just explained, Andrew, was it, it circled my pond all the way around, maybe about 10 foot out the entire way. And it was yeah. a, it was a tube that grew from the, the ponds from the actual the bottom, bottom up and then had that little tea, uh, leaf sitting on top. And if I remember mm. correctly, when I killed those, I treated one bank at a time to make sure to, yeah. to stop from having a, a zap of issues where I would have a fish kill as well. Right. Um, right. I, I don't remember who told me to do that, but it worked. Uh, they've been gone ever since then and been better fishing for it. But, uh, yeah. So, so speaking of yeah, fish, that's good advice. Yeah, it was, it was, I know it was an MDC guy. I just don't remember who that was so long ago. Yep. <laughs> so, um, speaking of fish, uh, I was doing some reading, um, and I actually was a little surprised by this and I, you'll obviously know this when we get to talking about it. Um, so if you're looking to stock your pond, there's a lot to go into that. Um, you know, how big is your pond, all that stuff. And we'll get into those things, but what are the basic fish that you think are, are good fish to stock in a pond here in our state? If you're going to do a stocking. Well, there's uh, yeah, there's, there's three main ones that, that conservation department, when we start, when we stock our own areas or when we start an area, uh, and that's going to be uh, bluegill, uh, channel catfish and largemouth bass. Those are, those are the big three that when we did stock private farm ponds, uh, those are what we would stock. And that was, uh, that's another program, the private farm pond stocking. That's one that unfortunately we ended, oh, a number of years ago. I guess it's been about 10 years ago or so now. But um, but uh, those are the ones we recommend when people are building a pond. Uh, you know, the bluegill, you typically would add those first, get those established. And the bluegill, a good <clears throat> bluegill population, you know, it provides the food source for the bass and uh, and everything else. Um, so you add the bluegill first. You can add channel catfish at the same time as bluegill. Let those get established. And then you bring in the bass later on, maybe in the fall. Like, say, you do this in the spring, you can bring the bass in in the fall. And, and the bass, of course, are the big predators. They're, they're going to be feeding on the bluegill, help, you know, keeping the bluegill population in check. And, uh, and then the channel catfish, uh, they, you know, they, they're kind of the cleanup crew. They'll eat a little bit of everything. And they may eat a live fish here and there, but... The channel catfish are just kind of doing their thing out there, but um, but uh, yeah, that's that's a good balance right there. And there are other fish you can add, um, and there's ways to do it. But uh, um, if you want to go with just a, a good solid, you know, good balanced population, that would be it. Any other fish you add, you have to be aware that how it may you know impact and work with the balance. But those are the big three. So before we get into the the bad ones, why don't you? kind of tell folks the other fish that are are maybe a decent idea um you know that you have to watch yes but um what are what's what are some other fish that are, are okay to add my feelings is gonna be hurt well, if you don't he, say crappie he's gonna he's not going to i, I, I already know that I but know. Uh, <laughs> which just but surprised like me so much. We, we'll get into that in a minute but what are the other fish that are a decent idea before we start talking about everybody's favorite <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, in, like I said, in, in addition to bluegill and largemouth bass and the channel catfish, uh, red-eared sunfish, that's, a, that's another bluegill-type fish. They get larger than bluegill. Uh, they've got small mouths, um, but they, they eat, uh, 
one of the big one of their big food sources is snails. They'll actually eat snails in the pond, and and this is another topic. But uh, snails are kind of part of they are part of a life cycle of 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 parasites, I guess that can infect fish. Sometimes people will call me and say, oh. "Hey, my fish have worms in them when I when I fillet them. What's going on there, and what can I do about it?" Well, radiated sunfish eat snails, and the snails are kind of part of that worm life cycle. So that's that's a side note there, but radiated sunfish is a is a native fish to Missouri. It's a good one to put in ponds. Okay. Um, uh, green sunfish, green sunfish, another native fish to Missouri. Um, they're similar to a bluegill, have a larger mouth, so they eat slightly bigger uh, bait. Um, so they're fun to catch. They're a little longer and thinner, uh, body shape, not quite as flat and round as a bluegill, but they're they're pretty close. Uh, hybrid bluegill or hybrid sunfish, that's another one, which is actually a cross between a bluegill and a green sunfish. A lot of people will put hybrid sunfish in their pond. Uh, we stock hybrid sunfish in a lot of our areas uh, you know, prior to like a family fishing day or a kid's fishing day. If mm-hmm. we want that pond to, to really have some good action for kids, we'll put hybrid bluegill in there or hybrid sunfish, same thing. And uh, they are... Uh, Easy to raise. We raise them in our hatcheries, but they will not reproduce in a pond, so they do not overpopulate. Oh. There's no chance, but they they like to hit, so they're they're a yeah. fun one to add. Um, I, you know, I hear, I get phone calls from people asking about their ponds. You know, grandparents that uh, talk about their farm pond and they want to get it in shape, but uh, they'll say, uh, I, I hear this pretty regularly from grandparents that say, oh yeah, I'll have a hybrid bluegill put in it every year for my grandkids. You know, because I I want them to catch fish and Hybrid bluegill, hybrid sunfish, yeah, they they seem to want to eat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are those are good fish to add. Um, uh, let's see, those those are probably the main ones. Uh, and again, we we crappie is not one that we initially recommend, but that, that we do have me. publications on. Yeah, but yeah, we, you can do crappie, and we have information on if people want crappie, how to do it, and. Uh, People might say, "Well, what's the problem with crappie?" Well, it's, it's, you know, it's. We talked about that balance. It's all about having a balanced situation where the bluegill, you know, they're the food source, and then you've got the predator that keeps that food source in check, and the, and that's the largemouth bass. Well, the well crappie are a second predator. Crappie are also feeding on the bluegill, so now you've got this bluegill population that has to has to maintain largemouth bass, and now they have to maintain crappie, and. Mm-hmm. In some situations, crappie uh, can really can really reproduce in a pond, which you would think would be a good thing. Um, but you know, an overpopulated fish bass population or an overpopulated crappie population, uh, you know, you can lead to stunted fish. You know, again, another one people call up and say, "Oh, I've got a bunch of crappie in there, but they're all paper thin." When I catch them, they're all paper thin. You know, and that's and that that can be a problem with again, you've got You've got crappie and bass, a lot of predators, and not enough food for them. The crop, the bluegill, just can't feed them enough. So, mm-hmm. um, so the uh, yeah. So you know, crappie. Like I said, uh, we have we have areas of our own that have crappie and bass in them. Uh, but the key the key to it is you have to harvest them. Which people will think, oh, hey, that's not a problem for me. I want to get. I want to eat those crappie. Right. But, uh, but that's how you prevent the stunted, you know, the stunted or what, you know, some people think of overstocked fish, overstocked bass or crappie is you have to you have to harvest them. 
So that idea of catching a small crappie thinking, oh, I'm going to throw it back, or catching a small bass, I'm going to throw it back to, to get it bigger, that's really not the answer. You want to keep pulling those small ones out of there so the remaining ones, you know, there's they have more food to eat and get bigger. So Less, uh, less mouths to you, feed. Yeah. That's right. So, now, yeah, it really, you know, crappie and bass, you know, they reproduce in a pond. You really can't over-harvest them. So people just need to keep the crappie they're, they're pulling out of there, keep the small ones, and uh, they'll notice over time that, yeah, they're in general, their fish will get bigger. Well, that was that answers my next question. I was going to ask, how do you know if you have an overpopulation? Should you just start pulling small ones as you catch them? Or should you wait until you have an idea? And so that pretty much answered that question. So, yeah, yeah, what, it pretty much you know, if you, like I said, it's 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 virtually impossible to fish a pond out or to over harvest fish. You know, they're they're in there doing their thing and and reproducing so quickly anyway that by the time a person thinks, well, I'm I'm going to throw them back until I think maybe I have a problem and I need to start. Well, by that time they they're already kind of behind the curve and they you know they need to start really harvesting fish to get them out of there but uh but yeah i would i would i tell land or pond owners to yeah you know uh, don't worry about uh, people harvesting too many fish or anything like that i mean just go ahead and let people you know harvest what they want and and uh yeah there's no there's no real reason to throw the small ones back so they'll get bigger because there's plenty of small ones still in there trying to grow yeah. Now should you throw the big ones back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. And you know, you really don't you really don't need to. We uh, I hear people say, "Oh, I tell everybody throw the big bass back. I want to I want them to grow to be, you know, throw the breeders back is what I often hear, you know. They'll okay. catch these big big bass and they'll say, "Those are the breeders, put them back." But I've actually I've talked to our fisheries biologists and they said uh, they told me that the 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 key the prime breeders the pi, the prime spawners mm-hmm. uh, in bass and it's probably similar in crappie but it, uh, not the the size wise but kind of the idea but the the prime breeders the prime spawners with largemouth bass are are your 15 inchers those 15 16 inch bass those are the ones who are you know they're in the they're old enough now that they're reproducing and they're 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 producing the eggs and then they're the bigger ones when you start getting those you know, several pound bass, you start getting, you know, 22 inches on up, 20 inches, 22, 24. Yeah, they're still, they're reproducing as, as they can, but they're, you know, they're, they're, by, they're beyond their prime. So, yeah, you can, they're getting you can fat take those and lazy. out. With, that's pretty much it. You're yeah. right. <laughs> so, yeah, you don't have to worry about throwing those breeders back. It's the 15 inches that are really doing all the work. Okay. <laughs> that's funny. So, yeah, that was one thing that surprised me was, you know, crappie because, Every pond that I can think of that I've ever fished had crappie in it. So I always assumed they would have been a good idea. And then I read that in a couple different articles before we called you. And it surprised me. And it makes sense now that you say it. But uh, it's just an, it's another predator. And I think I might have an issue actually because I'm the kids are starting to catch less and less bluegill in our pond. Oh, okay. oh is that right? And yeah. we have a lot of crappie that they're catching. Which they they like, but right. if you think about it, I know crappie are in there, and we're seeing less and less bluegill, so that might mean I have an issue, well, you know, with overpopulation. Stock some bluegill. Probably a good idea, but well, he, I yeah, bet you we yeah, could well, talk to a guy that could tell us. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah, and again, 
Yeah, you know, if you if you see your bluegill population going down, uh, one thing I would look at is just you know habitat. Do you have you know do you have enough uh, aquatic plants in there for the for the young bluegill to hide and be able to get away you know get away from the larger fish and be able to grow and um, that's a couple things I want to mention real quick is when people do have stunt bass again overpopulated or they're paper thin crappie, uh, I mean they're they're correctly thinking these fish aren't eating enough these fish need more food and what they'll what a lot of folks often do is they'll run out and order uh, a bunch of minnows fathead minnows or something and they'll get a big supply of those and dump those in there and uh, and really a, that's not going to solve the problem long term all all that happens when we put in a supply of minnows to fatten their fish up is those minnows probably get eaten almost immediately and then then they're gone they're completely gone and it didn't really do anything long term the the long term is to harvest those bigger fish out of there and you know that harvest those increase the harvest on those stunted fish mm-hmm. which then allows the bluegill population to do what it needs to do and that is just kind of keep growing but uh yeah getting that bluegill in 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 balance by you know providing them plenty of cover and stuff so they can grow and is is a good thing the um it, but yeah again that's that's a real common problem uh, um uh the, the some people as far as the cover uh maybe not having enough cover sometimes that's that's due to people adding grass carp to their pond when they don't when they don't or they shouldn't have added grass carp um guilty uh <laughs> yeah 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 grass carp uh are great for certain pond plants but they do not touch other pond plants like the pond algae that's real common that slimy algae um uh people will often think, oh, I need to put grass carp in there. They'll take care of it. Well, they'll put grass carp in, find out that the grass carp really don't do much for that slimy algae, but the grass carp ate up everything else that was that was of benefit. They, the grass carp targeted kind of the, the more leafy leafy plants that maybe a lot of the bluegill were, you know, were growing up in. So, so huh. yeah, we always recommend only put grass carp in uh, if you're having you know, uh, real problems with a particular type of plant that we know grass eat, and uh, and that that works out pretty well by doing it that way. Yeah, you know, that was that was the mistake I made when I was having that problem that we mentioned at the beginning of the show. First thing I went and did without talking to anybody was went and bought grass carp and oh. put them in my pond. I think I put ten of them in there or something like that. And yeah, then I talked to somebody and they're like, "Well, and this could be wrong, but I, this is what I remember hearing: the the plant that you're having a problem with." grows from the bottom to the top so they're not going to eat that now i could be wrong and funny after i did the kill and, and got rid of that stuff i thought the grass carp were gone mm-hmm. i'd never seen them oh yeah not two weeks ago i was down there and there is a giant in there <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah uh, i saw him on top of the water doing his thing and i'm like nope okay they're still not dead still there. um but so is that true about grass carp do they only eat what is on top of the water that's what no, I had always know heard. That, yeah, no, that's that's not true. That's probably, uh, like you were saying, that that that's probably when where people see them. They see them feeding maybe on some surface plants, or maybe they're, uh, who knows what they're doing up there, I guess. But uh, no, they generally feed underwater. They like they like the tender tender roots, the tender plants that are growing up from the bottom. They really they really mm-hmm. go for those. So, um, but when they're feeding down like that, you know, I guess most people don't see that. So sure. Uh, you, you don't really know that they are feeding, but but um, 
But no, no, that yeah, they'll 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 feed all over, really. That's exactly why I don't have a problem with that pondweed anymore. Then, so I'm, <laughs> they're just yeah eating it. I always thought grass carp that it was how you got rid of the the moss, the algae. So what would be? I mean, not to go into too much detail here for just our short time, but what would be a good remedy for that mal that malgy that malgy that that moss or algae if it's too bad yeah. you know i mean you can right. have it, not having some's fine but if it's so thick that it's creating a pond kill like we talked about right what's a good remedy on something right. like that yeah there's a couple well when you have it to that that extent that that's definitely a sign that there's a lot of nutrients there's a lot of there's a lot of something fertilizing that 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 algae in there there's a lot of nutrients getting in your pond so that'd be one thing to look for is um if livestock have access to your pond, you know, fence that livestock out. That'll, that'll help. Um, uh, lots of times, that's you know, you, people really don't. Uh, that's not really an option. Uh, maybe livestock don't. Livestock can't get in their pond, but maybe maybe a neighboring landowner has livestock, and it ultimately kind of flows into your pond. But uh, if you can reduce nutrients, that's that's one thing to do. Uh, but most of the time, uh, the, really, what you have to do is add chemicals mm-hmm. and. There are safe chemicals to add that that if you follow the instructions, they work just fine. Uh, they don't harm the fish. But uh, for the algae, some sort of copper, copper-based chemical, chemical, copper sulfate-based yep. chemical. There's all different varieties out there. You can go to any kind of farm and feed and tell them you need something to treat algae in your pond, and they'll probably walk you right to it. But mm-hmm. uh, I think we kind of mentioned it earlier. Um, uh, it, Again, this algae and the warm water in the summer can add to potential fish kills. And anytime you treat a pond to to kill off a plant, when that you know the the algae or the or the the other plants, um, as those plants die off, they decompose and they also pull oxygen from the water as they're decomposing. So uh, you they're don't want to kill off a bunch yeah. of plants in yeah. the summertime. Uh, so we. We always tell people uh, never treat your pond, never kill off any plant, don't add any kind of chemicals when the water temperature is above 80 degrees. So I think we're there right now for this time of the year. Yeah. So if someone wanted to, yeah. if someone was having a problem, they kind of have to wait it out until the water cools off and then you, then you can start treating. But uh, most people don't like to add and I'm, I'm with them. I can understand how you don't mm-hmm. want to add chemicals to your water. Uh, it can be expensive, but for, for that, for algae with that type of problem, that much of a problem, that's really the, the best way is just using some of that copper chemical. It's effective and works well. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. What about, um, we mentioned channel cat earlier and it made me think of this question. I've heard people complain or, or not even complain, just talk about, you know, their pond being clear compared to their neighbor's pond being muddy or cloudy. Um, right. There's a lot of factors that go into muddy or cloudy water. Uh, I know that I looked into this at our pond, um, my neighbor's pond. We have ponds maybe 250 feet apart from each other. They're the, about the exact same size, and his pond is is a lot prettier, I would say, than mine. <laughs> mine looks muddy all the time, right? And I had a guy uh, have me take some samples of water, and from there he figured out, you know, what my issue might be. But what what are some things to look at when you have a a, a cloudy pond, and what are the factors that go into creating that? Uh, I don't know that that problem. Right. It's not even a problem, but that's the word I'm using. Yeah. Yeah, um, that water sample. That's that's usually the first thing we we tell people to do is yeah if they if their pond is cloudy or um, muddy looking or something yeah I haven't, you know we tell people get a quart jar or something and just go over there and try to scoop up a sample of water 
and take that jar and set it somewhere in your house in the dark, you know, a, a closet or something like that, and set it there for a couple of weeks and just undisturbed leave that jar. And then come back after a couple of weeks and see if it was in the water settled out. See if, if the water looks clear and whatever it was is kind of settled to the bottom. Uh, if it has, well, that, that, that will tell our fisheries biologist something. And, and again, you can contact you know, your local fisheries staff person or private lands. And they'll, that's one of the things I'll ask you is, have you done this? And if, if, you, if it has settled out, that lets you know that, uh, yeah, your pond is murky or, or muddy looking because, because soil or particulates are getting stirred up. And, uh, and if it has not settled out, then we're talking about it could be actually uh, kind of a biological thing going on. It could be bacteria in the water, you know, not, not anything to be scared of or anything, but just, you know, this normal bacteria that is blooming and causes causes this cloudy water. Um, typically, I think it, it may be more common to, to be particulates floating around in the water, and, and then you have to kind of figure out what the that could be. It could be could be that you have a lot of catfish. Ponds that have catfish, bullheads are notorious for going around, kind of rooting around and keeping your pond stirred up. Um, also, you know, wind is located in an area that I don't know, isn't protected from a lot of wind, and it you've got a lot of wave action. That can kind of keep your pond kind of stirred up a little bit. Um, also, again, we talked about watershed earlier. As water's flowing to your pond, um, if that if that water is, is you know, if, if it's flowing through, you know, vegetation and things like that that kind of help filter and slow the water down, that that right. helps to <clears throat> keep stuff from flowing into your pond. But uh, it's a fact that we... Mercury, um, take that water spill and see see what happens to it after a couple of weeks. Gotcha. Yeah, that was the exact thing that that guy told me, and I did the the same thing you just said, Andrew. I had the mason jar; it settled. Oh, so good. so he was like, "Hey, I bet you money you have catfish," and I was like, "Nope, not a chance. I've lived here for whatever how long, and I've never seen a single catfish." And of course, I was dead wrong. <laughs> I had a buddy come oh, out. Right. Yeah, I had a buddy come out and set some lines. And he did it for a couple of weeks and just to see, and he caught dozens. One was like a 14 pounder. Hmm. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, caught dozens of catfish and I'm like, I'll be damned. I've got catfish in this thing. And that's obviously what my issue yeah, the interesting is. Interesting thing about channel catfish. Yeah. Some, uh, some ponds catfish reproduce in and other ponds they don't. So, um, uh, some people, when they buy channel catfish and stock their pond, um, it's almost like uh, what we call a put and take. You put them in there and you take them out. And then when they're all taken out, you have to put more back in. And, uh, but some ponds, actually, the catfish reproduce in. You know, the, the pond is big enough or the pond's you got the right type of soil or the, the bottom shape of the pond is what the catfish like. And they can find kind of little holes and stuff and, and uh, spawn in there. But, uh, yeah, it, it, catfish are not one of those guaranteed fish to reproduce in a pond. They reproduce in a lot of ponds. But, again, a lot of people I know, uh, they buy 50 catfish and they put them in there. And after a few years, they realize, okay, we're not catching as many catfish anymore. Probably time to put more in. But huh. uh, sounds like sound like you did not have that problem. <laughs> no. So if they if they don't have the right environment, they won't reproduce. That's correct. That's yep. crazy. Yep. They won't even try it, huh? That's interesting. I mean, maybe they're trying it. It's not working. But self personal. That's question. right. Yeah. <laughs> they're not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're not succeeding at it. That's right. Well, and uh, I guess one last question, which you know people might want to know: um, when when you do decide to stock your pond, 
and try to make it a, a nice fishing pond. What are some numbers, some good numbers to use uh, as far as how many fish to buy per acre and that sort of stuff? What do you recommend? Well, yeah, it really uh, it 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 depends on um, where your pond is located. Again, we talked about it uh, earlier. Uh, you know, Missouri being oh, kind of in the middle of the country, and northern Missouri is different from southern Missouri. Well, that 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 affects uh, you know how many fish you need to put in there. Sure. Um, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. I was trying to see if I could look them up here real quick, but I I don't think I can. But uh, the uh, the best way, the best place to find those numbers is if you go to our website, uh, the Department of Conservation, go to MissouriConservation.org. Um, you could probably search pond stocking, and we have online an aqua guide. We call it. It's a little publication, and it talks about you know the fish we recommend for stocking. Uh, but on the back page of that, uh, it actually has a table, and it lists yeah. the county, and you find your county, and it right there it tells you. How many bluegill you need to add, you know, and how many largemouth bass and how many channel catfish. And it, for some counties, it could be they say add 200 bluegill and or 500 bluegill and 100 largemouth bass. But then for another county, it could be only add 200 bluegill and and 50 of this, but per acre. But um, you're, but yeah, the point is, yeah, you're right. There are there are recommended numbers out there, and that's important for people to make sure they. They do that if they want to have the best luck. But, yeah, just go to MissouriConservation.org and type in pond stocking, and they should be able to find that pretty quick. Yeah, we'll include a link in our show notes for that, too, so people can maybe get to it pretty easily. Um, yeah. Another question people have, and, and I, of course, I know this because I go and get my stuff from them, but people always want to know, where can I get fish? Um, it's still a, a deal where you find a private hatchery now, correct? Or are you all you're not running a program at the current time, right? That's right. Yeah, we do not. Um, there's a couple ways to do it. Um, the uh, again, if someone's searching online, like you said, that that link, and they go to our stocking, uh, it's called stocking fish in your pond information. Uh, right along with that is a list of uh, Missouri fish producers around the state. It has them listed by county, and uh, you can find the one closest to you. And uh, but what most people do is. Um, They'll pick up their, you know, again, their local farm and feed store or maybe a local Orschlands or something. They often have a, what they call a fish days, you know, where they they have these, yep. they, they work with the Missouri fish producers to bring in fish. And I think you place your order and then they'll bring them in. Um, but that's, that's a good way to do it right there is to, uh, you know, just get in touch with your local feed store, farm and feed, Orschlands type place, MFA, and ask, do they sell fish or when their fish days are? And they'll connect them. Uh, but again... Uh, outside of those fish days, uh, you can also contact those fish producers directly, you know, with uh, with our Missouri fish producers list, and uh, and that's usually the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's I've done that several times. So, well, we we really uh, thank you for coming on. I mean, you got anything else, Andy? For him? no, I think we have plenty of great information on this, and uh, I've definitely learned a thing or two for sure. It wasn't a crappie oh, show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I've been waiting though. for like an hour to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no i i think this was a great show it it you know gives people some good information to to think about what how how can they produce a good fishing pond I, I think that was the whole reason we thought about this mm-hmm. doing it with you was the way we have to fish in our lives now we just we don't have the time to get out on a lake uh you know go out to the the rivers and stuff and so 
our fishing is a lot of times just here at our ponds and it's right it's nice to be able to have a, a healthy pond where the kids can go out and have fun and you want to make the best out of your experience out of your time yeah so oh yeah i'm sure there's a lot of people out there that you know have a, a pond that's in bad shape and uh it's it's not too terribly hard to turn it around it's just a matter of knowing what to do so i think this gives people people at least some good starting information um and then do you have any contact information for you had talked about some some pond professionals uh within the department where people might be able to call or email with questions they might have yeah it uh um again we've got we've got our staff located all around the state it really uh, you know, the best the best site for people to contact their lo- local uh, conservation department office, and they're they'll connect them with who the local staff person is. But uh, and and again, like you said, it's it's you know you can you know if someone's got a pond that's got some real problems, yeah, it can be turned around. And and our our biologists that are working out there, our private lands folks and our fisheries folks that are you know in every, every county of the state, they're. They deal with these same issues with our with our own areas, so yep. that's why that's why I tell people uh, we don't really have one person to talk to or two people. They just call their local office and they'll connect them with the person in their area. Uh, and that person in their area, like I said, they're familiar with the soil types and and kind of the conditions going on in that area. So yeah, they'll be the best ones. But cool. Yeah, rather than uh, giving you a bunch of names and numbers, yeah, just <laughs> folks can just call their local office and they'll take it from there yeah which they can get that information on mdc's website uh, local office numbers too so um well that's right we really thank you for coming on uh, i think it was really good information and unless you got anything else for me andy i'm good yeah thanks a lot andrew oh my pleasure yeah there's a lot to it it's it's a fun topic all right that's the show that was a little fishy <laughs> that's the second time you made that joke yeah it's a good one that's a crappie joke <laughs> that's the same time you made that one. Oh yeah my bad my bad uh anyway hope everybody enjoyed it um we had a lot of fun learning i mean a lot of the stuff i went through with in on my personal pond mm-hmm. um kind of andrew said again and so it's kind of nice to know that some of the stuff i did back then some good decisions some bad decisions yeah but um you know those are things that there's some people out there that are trying to figure out what they want to do with their pond and very relatable episode. Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have ponds or fish ponds or I'm still I'm still upset about my crappie not being on the list. Yeah, when I read that, I was surprised. Um how would you know that? I mean, every freaking pond in this right state yeah. has crappie and it's actually not a great idea, but I'm not going to get rid of them. It sounded like I could be wrong is one of a one or the other for maybe crappie and bass. Yeah, like they they yeah. Butt heads, which makes sense. They're both predators. Right. So, anyway, uh, hope you all enjoyed the show. Um, make sure to follow us on uh, Instagram, at Missouri Woods and Water, all spelled out. Uh, our Facebook page, same thing, Missouri Woods and Water. Uh, go hit that subscribe wherever you listen and help us out. Yep. And um, we appreciate the support. Absolutely. Anything else, dude? That's it. All right, we'll talk to you all later.